Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. What was worse, Sherry, about my active alcoholism? Was it the lack of predictability, the kind of unknown about what was going to happen when I started drinking? Or was it the the actual, like, the badness of it? They're using a big word today. <laughs> the, uh, you know, the trauma itself and the antics and the, the, the poor behavior. Was that worse or was it the... And, to, you know, the, they say that for the alcoholic, for many of us, it's actually the anticipation of the start of a drinking session that gives us the dopamine hit more so than the actual alcohol itself. I've read that several times now. So what was it for you? Was it was it the worry about what might happen when I started drinking or was it the actual bad things that happened? I would have to say I think that it could be both. Or just because you're into cop out answers, yeah, exactly. But it would depend. Like if it if things had been going fairly well and you and I were you know out and I had hope sometimes that we could still and have a good evening with you having a couple drinks and not every night went terribly. That's sour. true. Um, I think towards the end of the drinking, just as you said, the badness. Of it all, because <laughs> you know the un- the unpredictability and the antics and the behavior. Because I didn't, you know, I didn't know where it was going to land. Yeah. So I guess the unpredictability. Okay. We'll more you, so than the badness. We'll let you get away with both. That's fine. Okay. Well, good because it it was because you're kind of giving answers that are are options. My only two options of it's either this or that, Sherry. Which is it? I think that it's. Both, because they're integrated. As you said, when we were sitting down to start this podcast, you asked me what the topic was, and I gave you some vague answer, and you said, fine, I'll just do what I always do, just say whatever the hell I want, and be completely unprepared. I I think the choices that you gave were very similar. Yes. Okay. Because I think with all of us loved ones, the unpredictability, Mm -hmm. you know, and the antics, they go hand in hand, because we don't know what we're going to get. Yeah. Well... You know, the point of this is, I suppose, that you've said it more than once. All you really wanted was peace and stability. You've you've told me, you've told our listeners that when we first started to get together way back in college, you know, you didn't say that you, the thing that made you think, yeah, this might work out was my dashing good looks. <laughs> It was, is, there, is there a photograph attached to this podcast yeah. usually? Okay. Or maybe your last you your the, last the one. Mohawk picture for <laughs> yeah. my junior year. Actually, I met you when you were bald. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah. But so it wasn't that. It was like stability. It was that I, you know, you thought I had a shot, had a shot at having a, a reasonable career and, you know, being a decent guy. And so the point is, there is a point in this. Even from the beginning, you were looking for peace and stability and predictability from me. And if there's one thing that alcoholism cannot deliver on, someone's cutting a tree down outside of our (laughs) recording studio, our soundproof recording studio. 
Oh my God, this is a cluster. Um, one thing that you were looking for was predictability. And if there's one thing that cannot be provided in an alcoholic relationship, it's that predictability and that stability. Mm-hmm. So you wanted peace and I gave you everything but. Yeah. I know that a story that's, that just haunts you and now it haunts me too, which is good. It's good. I, I like the idea that we go through all the resentments in our relationship and we share the burden of the painful memories. So I, di- I don't mean to, to make that sound bad, but your 40th birthday is one that we've spoken about before and it's definitely a time that haunts you. We went away, we borrowed a condo from friends and went off to the mountains and I had all these plans. They all revolved around drinking, of course. But and we sex. Were gonna, Let's not kid ourselves. Drinking and sex, sex right? and drinking. Sex. We were going to go out to dinner <laughs> and we were going to go out to the bars and we brought lots of booze with us for when we weren't out. And I think there was a hike involved, but I'm sure I brought a beer on the hike so that I could have it at the summit or whatever because I was big into doing that back then. But everything revolved around around drinking and all you wanted was just to relax and enjoy some time, just the two of us together. The condo we were renting had a, like a back patio or something. And on the first morning when we were there, I got up and, oh, we got to do this and we got to do this and we got to do this. And I, I was trying to get us out the door on these plans. And you said you just wanted to relax and en- enjoy a sunny afternoon and, and my company, right? Yeah. Well, I knew we were in trouble when... The drive out there yeah. at night. That's when I knew the, the trouble was going to... Because I was frustrated by the traffic. Because yeah. I and couldn't I like, drink until I parked the car. Yeah. And so I wanted the traffic to be out of the way. And you just thought we could enjoy each other's company in the car. Yeah, because we didn't have any kids. Because our kids crazy. were... crazy. Our kids were ages 2 to 10. Mm-hmm. Four of them. Yeah. We needed to just relax and, like, reconnect and... Have some quiet. So you wanted peace and relaxation on that birthday celebration, that long weekend, and instead you got chaos and arguments and just drinking. I know what I wanted. I know what I wanted. What? I wanted my birthday plans to include the things I wanted to do. Crazy. Not what you wanted to do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So that that was another, I remember that was part of the argument too, was... You just don't even, you didn't even know, because you didn't care. You were so selfish, you didn't, you thought you were, like, going to be entertaining me, and I remember one of your comments when we started squabbling and arguing was, if you didn't make the plans, nothing would happen. Yeah. And I was like, that's what I wanted, nothing to happen, I just wanted to... Except sex, of course, you wanted lots (laughs) of sex. Lots of it. (laughs) Lots of it. I just wanted to, like, enjoy the quiet and the woods and nature and and literally nothing to happen yes it's fair i i think there's a gender component to this and and i'm basing that on not just our experience which we'll talk about but the experience of so many others that we've we've worked with it's a gender thing and it has to do with motherhood because you know you and i definitely partied together when we were younger you might not have been quite as you know 100% all the time as I was as far as drinking and partying was concerned but you definitely enjoyed going out and drinking and socializing socializing and, and yeah yeah 
And but then once we started having kids, this is where the shift always takes place. And I, when I say always, again, this we've used this term before, but this will be one of these uni- universalisms that we've seen in so many other people. We might not have scientific proof, but boy, we've we've got a lot of anecdotal proof that once the female in the relationship has babies, her priorities shift. What? You sound like you're on a nature show. <laughs> once the female has conceived, reaches the, the full babies. gestation period. Jeez. Okay. So, so once once we had our children, your interest in partying was waning for sure. And that desire for peace and stability, predictability, all these words, that just that increased dramatically. And my drinking just kept on going on the same path. In fact, some of the things that we would argue about is I haven't changed, Sherry. I'm the guy you married. You know, don't be mad at me. You knew what you were getting into. You're the one that's changed. And in all honesty, I think there's truth to that. But the changing that you did is something we call maturity, which is not a bad thing. I think all of us alcoholics who get stuck in this adolescent mindset because we're unable to mature, because alcohol stunts that maturity process, we think, oh, our wife's the one that's messed up because she's changing. Well, what she's doing is... is you know, the natural human progression and we are locked out of the process of natural human progression because that's part of what alcohol does. So, I, you know, I just want to add that into the conversation. It's because it's just so frequently that we see this desire for predictability and normalcy. It just increases dramatically after the, uh, the woman in the relationship has has the first kid and and certainly there are lots of relationships alcoholic relationships that struggle and need help where there are no children so it's you know it's not the end all be all can't happen without it factor but it is a factor i think we would be doing a disservice if we didn't didn't acknowledge that for me it's a little bit different (coughs) excuse me the um I like to describe this as a pendulum. The pendulum of drinking swayed really fast and really high on both ends of the swing. So my ups were really up. I've described the euphoric feeling of being on my third IPA in a drinking session, how unbelievably good that felt, and how much I loved to socialize and be around others when drinking. But I also loved to drink alone in my basement, so it didn't really matter. But the upside of the swing was really, really high. But then the longer my drinking progressed, the downside was really, really down as well. So the pendulum would swing to the other side and the depression and anxiety and self-loathing and shame, all of these words that we associate with alcoholism, they became debilitating. I mean, it, it just became overwhelming. And so really, really high highs really, really low lows. And the idea of what you really most desired out of life, which was this peace and contentment and predictability, the pendulum never stopped in the middle. It was either going up or it was going down. And I never found that middle ground, had no interest in it, no understanding of it. What was that like for you to watch me go either to this great point or this super depressed point with 
The only thing you wanted was the only thing I couldn't reach from a mental state standpoint. It made me feel like I was sometimes living with someone who was crazy or bipolar. Sure. Um, in a lot of ways. I feel like when you were... I feel like either time, either when you were high or you were low, you had great expectations of your children and me. I feel like you put a lot of... And maybe you weren't aware of it, but I feel like you had this... You have this image to uphold in the community and as a business leader and, you know, a volunteer soccer coach at the at a lot of the time or a paid soccer coach. So I feel like you had an image to uphold and we had to all uphold this image and we had to kind of dance this line. Like if you were, like nothing could be good enough if you were in a down place or, you know, you would beat yourself up sort of. And But then when you were on a, you know, the upswing of it, there were these expectations of we've got to do this and this and this and this and make everything look great. So it was like... I feel like the, the chainsaw is coming right into <laughs> yeah. our house. Should we be worried? Yeah. So, um, go ahead. So I feel like it also just added a level of pressure that we weren't aware of. That, that we weren't going to be enough and we weren't going to do it right and we were going to look right or we weren't going to act right. Um, I think that it just made it, you know, it was a very anxiety-driven household. Absolutely. Sometimes you would tell me things, like, for instance, you would tell me that you dread the weekends or mm-hmm. you dread vacations. Yeah. And for me, weekends and vacations were the thing I most looked forward to. Not only, I mean, certainly because the... There was less limitations on on drinking. I mean, I did, you know, work a full day, a long full day every day. So it's not like I got up every morning and started drinking. Right. But on the weekends, ooh, I could drink more. And on vacation, I could drink more. So I looked forward to it for that reason. But just more than that, like weekends and vacation is, is family time. Weekends and vacation is free time together as a couple. So... Theoretically, there's a lot to look forward to there. And I I looked forward to it more than theoretically. I looked forward to it just period. But you dreaded those times. And one of the things that I think is really interesting, that would really upset me that you dreaded the weekends and dreaded vacations. I would get my feelings hurt. It, it would, you know, this is the thing that I, I'm holding as the goal. Let's get to the weekend. Let's get to vacation. That's... That's when the fun happens. That's when the closeness happens and you're dreading it. It really, really hurt my feelings. And this, again, falls into the category of universalisms that we hear from a lot of people. A lot of times we hear of couples where the the loved one of the alcoholic tells the alcoholic, it's more peaceful here without you when you're not around. If you've maybe gone away for a stint in rehab or you travel for work, it's more peaceful without you. And we as the drinkers, we always get our feelings hurt and it becomes about us, which is just fascinating to me now that we're beyond this and we're able to look back somewhat objectively, I think. I The, the fact that you could tell me, Matt, I, I dread these things because of the chaos that's involved. And rather than me saying, oh, well, let's dissect that. What's causing the chaos? And actually look at, at the root cause and, and see if maybe alcohol was playing a negative role. Rather than do that, I just got my whiny little feelings hurt. 
and told you how sad you made me feel because you weren't looking forward to vacation and weekends like I was. Or like I said, in the case of many of the people we've talked to, not looking forward to, or pardon me, just feel like it's more peaceful and calm and serene in the household without the alcoholic there. And it goes to what you just talked about. There's just so much anxiety surrounding a situation where alcohol is being abused or consumed frequently. But but here's the message, I think. It wasn't about my feelings. You know? I is is that just the the selfishness of the alcoholic that I always internalized that? And, you know, if you said I dread the weekends, I'd get mad at you because you had hurt my feelings as opposed to looking at the reason you dreaded like, the weekends. Why does she dread the weekends? Yeah, do you yeah. think that's just the selfishness of the alcoholic? Yeah, I think so for sure. Um, cuz you wouldn't have even considered why asking me why or even if you did ask me why then you would throw it back in my face that I have the drinking problem. You know, if I were to say things are just more calm, there's less anxiety, then you would have also went into a tirade about how good of a father you were and how you don't oh, cause yeah, chaos and how cuz you cuz you didn't see what was going on. You couldn't you couldn't tell. I mean, the kids even knew, like, ooh, we're not going to talk to Dad about this now. Or, you know, if they started getting out of hand and it was in the evening of picking on each other or just being loud, you know, all I had to do was, like, look at them. And they knew, oh, let's not. Let's not poke the bear sort of thing. Ironically, that was a fun game that you used to play with the kids. but there Because there were lots of fun things that you did. But we knew after a certain time. You know, and then we then vacations were hard because... There was a celebration, and usually we spent our vacation time with family. So that's like a whole level of stress that, um, you know, that you have to take on. And at the you had to take on, or I had to take at on. that. Everybody has to take on just incorporating like massive amounts of family. Like with your family, for instance, the first weekend was usually the grandparents and the you know, family day at one of the, at the lake. And so there could be like 20 people, you know, lots of different personalities, lots of reasons to celebrate the accomplishments of the year, those sort of things. And then as the week went on, then stress got involved and frustration, just, you know, merging households. Yeah. You know, so that was another level of stress that sometimes you would start to drink more towards the end of the week. Because, you know, you were either feeling uncomfortable being around your family that long or dreading going back to reality. Just wanted to milk the most out of the vacation time as possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think this is a really important point that I think is misunderstood or underprioritized, perhaps. By alcoholics in recovery, I certainly underprioritized it because I don't know peace and contentment. It just sounds so mundane and boring. It doesn't sound like a goal to aspire to. You know, a goal to aspire to is winning a gold medal in the Olympics, right, or getting a big promotion or something like that. Well, but, but you... peace and serenity, you know, whatever, whatever. That that's just the byproduct of. Um, I don't know, being lazy. Like, it well, just doesn't sound like a goal. Well, I know that you often say, you know, to people when we are first meeting them in our Echoes of Recovery group, 
that they're like, I can't believe I'm in a relationship with an alcoholic. And you're like, they're everywhere. So if they're everywhere now, they were everywhere then. So a lot of us already grew up in a household and had a life that had alcoholism. So it sounds silly to you, maybe, because, you, you know, you didn't have the outward-looking instability mm-hmm. like some of us did in our childhoods. So having some of that, you know, serenity and calm and stability... Like, met everything because we didn't have that. Mm-hmm. So, that's a lot more feeling of, you know, of a goal rather than, like, winning a gold medal. Like, your family was intact. There was no divorces. There were no, like, arguments and fights that you had to witness, you know, um, between your parents the way that some of us did. Mm-hmm. So... Having just, you know, a fairly content, happy household was would be better than a gold medal. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think for me, that was so baseline. It wasn't something to aspire to. It was, it was a given. And so when you would tell me things like that you, you know, you just wanted predictability and you just wanted peacefulness... I thought, well, that's where we, that's always the starting point. Where do we go from there? Yeah. And I mean, maybe because of that, like that upbringing that you had, and then you felt that you needed to just bring on more excitement because you're right. That's just baseline. And then there always had to be more, 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 more. And it wasn't just more drinking or more sex. It was more of this, more vacations or, you know, before we had kids, more time away, more challenges, more not physical stuff, but more entertainment. More more bad work decisions that would cause (laughs) us lots of extra effort. Yeah. No, you're right. But I think, I mean, that's very specific to our case. There are certainly lots of other cases of alcoholics where they had a peaceful upbringing and so peacefulness didn't seem like anything to aspire to. But there are lots of alcoholics that we get to know who did have tra- traumatic, really challenging childhoods. But still, once that pendulum starts swinging and you get the high high highs and the low, low lows, stopping somewhere in the middle at just peace and contentment is, is really difficult. And I just really don't feel like we as an alcoholic community of people that are trying to hopefully save our marriages... I don't think we do a very good job of understanding and prioritizing that piece. And maybe predictability is even the more important word because, you know, it's not just sitting around under a cloud, you know, daydreaming. It's knowing what to expect. It's knowing that, you know, it's it's a Wednesday and I don't have to wonder whether my spouse is going to come home drunk or not. I don't have to wonder if if you know, dinner time and after dinner time with the kids is going to be ruined or not. I just know that it's going to be, again, predictable and peaceful and normal. And I, I, again, I just, I, I think so many people that are in recovery and that are thinking, hey, we got to save our marriage. Our marriage isn't doing well. What's going on? They just breeze over this like it's no big deal. 
But I think it's a very big deal. I think the the um, the value that the loved ones put on this concept of predictability is super high, way more so than than what we as alcoholics. I mean, we're we're working on sobriety, man. I'm I'm not drinking for you. That's what you wanted. I mean, I might still act like an asshole in early sobriety. I might still have my addictive tendencies and my um, alcoholic brain work, and I might grump around the house and be demanding and be kind of intolerable to live with, but I'm working on sobriety. That's all I'm working on. When I don't think we understand how important it is to work on being a predictable partner for our loved one. You've talked a lot about how grumpy I was in early sobriety. Would it have been better if you had known what to expect on a daily basis and if I had been able to find a way to be a little more even keel as opposed to, you know, still ups and downs even once I'd stopped drinking? Yeah, I think that anybody would like to know what to expect. Um, So it would have made, it would have made sense, but I feel like I understood the, the grumpiness because you had a, a big, you know, boulder to push up a hill so it should be expected um you know after the pink cloud or whatever that saying is dissipates but but having some information about what to expect is helpful sure sure makes sense you know another thing that i didn't value enough and i don't think i'm alone on this is that there's lots of joy in peace and predictability. I, for so many years, for decades, found all my joy in drinking situations and socializing and, like I said, that that euphoria in a couple, two or three IPAs. That's where I thought joy was. I thought the rest of life was kind of something to get through to get to those points. I just didn't have an appreciation for the joy that can be found in peace and predictability. But now I see it and I understand it. And part of being predictable is enhancing the partnership. You know what to expect from me. I know what to expect from you. And it makes me feel more like we're a team as opposed to on opposing sides. And I'm curious how you would react to that. When I was drinking or even in early sobriety and I was moody and up and down and sideways, did you feel like we were pulling in the same direction or was it just um you know you had your stuff to take care of and I had my stuff to take care of and you just hoped that we didn't collide ah I guess hope that we didn't collide because I just was (laughs) collide makes me think of like arguments and disagreements and confrontations so I hope we didn't collide I think that I kind of was just over whatever you were doing at this last you know try it at sobriety because you had had longer stints of sobriety. So I think that I was just more detached and was like, you just do whatever you need to do and stay out of my way and I want to stay out of yours a little bit. So avoiding any collisions and, you know, I suppose. So so longer term just, peace and predictability was a requirement for you to start to let, you know, it's not just long term sobriety. I mean, that's important. You can't do it without it. 
But it's not just the sobriety. It's longer-term predictability made it to the point where you could start to let down your guard and begin to trust me again. Yeah, or share pieces of information that I know that might be a discussion, no matter how small it was, you know, that there could be even a difference of opinion, you know, between you and I. Like, having conversations like that had to happen several times in order for me to feel like there was trust and predictability. Seeing you not overreact um, to a situation... Because you have a, you have a, you had a tendency to really overreact and have a very strong opinion about something, and kind of push your opinion on people when you were drinking. So watching you navigate your own battle and turning that outward to say, you know, everybody has their own opinion and and struggles. I'm going to share what I have, but I'm not going to be as overbearing about it, yeah. or I'm not going to overreact to something that's fairly simple and. You know, that you can just kind of calmly discuss rather than than build it up to this screaming match and then bring it back down. We, we talk a lot about the, the cycle of recovery for an alcoholic relationship. And we talk about how sobriety doesn't fix anything, but it is a prerequisite. And then after that, both, both members in the relationship, both the alcoholic and the loved one need to be working on recovery and healing from how the alcoholism hurt them individually. And then you've got to work on the resentments for sure. And we've talked a lot about how that has to take place. If there are kids involved, the kids need to be addressed. And these are all, you know, important steps. They all take some time, but then you get to kind of the big kahuna And that is working on rebuilding trust. And working on rebuilding trust, we tell people all the time, it takes a lot of time. It takes a ton of time. But something that I don't think we've talked enough about that I think, you know, we definitely should include going forward as we discuss this is the, the, this concept of predictability. It doesn't just take time to rebuild trust. It takes predictable time. It takes time where you're not wondering if your spouse is going to relapse. It takes time where you're not wondering if your spouse is just going to be an asshole because they can't help themselves. It takes time where you're not going to wonder if your spouse is going to be a sobbing puddle because they're so emotionally depleted and immature. It takes time and predictability. That's what the time is all about. Oh, you know, Matt's treating the kids well and treating me well and... You know, he's not, I don't know, uh, just a depressed, moody mess. He's normal. He's got his ups and downs, but they're not wild mood swings. And this has been going on for a while, so I'm starting to feel trust for him again. I mean, that's the way I'm describing how you feel. Is that accurately representing how you feel? Yes, that is a more, that is an accurate way of describing how I think that they feel. And that's when you do start to feel like it's different this time. You know, one thing that the last time when you got sober was you never once that I remember you saying, I'm quitting drinking for you. That's when I knew it was different as well. Because any other time there had been, this is so hard and I'm doing it for you and the kids, you know, that sort of thing. Um, 
So I feel like that was one of the little indicators that I knew that there was differences. And you had a different pattern. You, you know, you weren't just trying to keep like your mind and hand busy. You were also learning and reading and I guess... My hand? You mean the hand I would hold a drink in? Yeah. Oh. Maybe. I mean, I think I'm about some of the house projects that... that. You know, you would do when you were trying not to drink. Oh, you had I to see. stay busy. Just staying busy, yeah. Instead yeah. of like reading and, and sitting in it, as they would say, like sitting with your feelings. And you would go on a walk and listen to podcasts or, you know, audiobooks and things. Well, the predictability is important. It's important because that's required for building the trust for sure. But. It's also important because it makes me feel like you and I are more of a team. I, I, I feel much more confident that you've got my back and I know I've got your back. And that if there you know, is some conflict on the outside that we've got to deal with, we'll deal with it together. And there's nothing that I'm afraid to bring to you if I've got a concern about you know, something else going on in the world. And I hope there's nothing that you're afraid to bring to me. Do you feel, I mean, it used to really bother you. We've got four kids and a business and I used to talk all the time about how, oh, we just divide and conquer. That's how we get it all done. Mm -hmm. And I used to really bother you. You, you liked, you, you preferred to think of it as we were going to work on stuff together mm -hmm. as opposed to divide and conquer. Do you feel more like we are a team and working on things together now? Mm-hmm. I do. Sometimes, as one of our people in Echo said, oh, crap, he has an opinion now and he's involved. Sometimes I do feel like that, but I feel like that would be in any normal relationship. I appreciate your opinion and your input. And it's not because I'm codependent and can't have one without you. Yeah. It's that, oh, you, you know, we're you making... You are not short of opinions. I don't think anyone who knows you <laughs> would question that. It is nice to have confirmation that that we are a team and that we're trying to do things together. Now, not everything do we, we don't go to the grocery store together and shop. I know and, I do all that all by myself. You never come and help. <laughs> you know, look at the labels together. We're not like joined at the hip now or anything, but it is nice to have the support because what would happen is if sometimes I did make decisions and you're like, okay, you're, we're going to divide and conquer. You may have not liked what I did. And then I would have felt belittled by you yeah. in your drinking opinion. Yeah. You know? I was good at belittling you. So. Absolutely. That's where then the codependent need for wanting to work together. And now it's different. It's not a codependent need to work together. Well, I just, I, I don't think we can overemphasize how important this concept <laughs> is that it's, it's not just sobriety. Sobriety doesn't fix anything in and of itself. It just makes room for the fixing. But but having the relationship, having the attitude and emotional response and all of the reactions of the alcoholic, of the people on my side of the street, become predictable is really, if you want to rebuild the trust, I mean, you got to stop lying, first of all, right? That's You got to stop drinking, I mean, those are the obvious ones. Those are the ones that everyone can see from a million miles away. But you've also got to find that emotional maturity so that you can get to a point of being predictable on someone that can be relied on. Because, 
you know, without trust, there is no intimacy and true love. And the trust depends on that predictability. So as much as I feel like I'm beating a dead horse, I also feel like this is a message that cannot be overstated. So something really interesting happened to us this week, Sherry. Really interesting will be in the ear of the listener, I suppose. I was going to say, I feel like we've had... I feel like I built that up too much. It was The last week of school for our family. It's just been hectic. School year and it's been crazy. So I feel like we've had a lot of interesting things. Okay, well this isn't one of them. Within our family. This wasn't interesting at all. Gosh. But you... uh, (laughs) (laughs) You... You added to all the fun of the last week of school by deciding on, what was that, Wednesday? That you were going to wake up early to watch the lunar eclipse mm. that was vis- supposed to be visible here in Denver. Total lunar eclipse in the western part of the world and super moon, flower moon. So I've already been having trouble sleeping. I don't have trouble getting to sleep. I have trouble staying asleep yeah. for seven, eight hours. Yeah. The goal being eight, but you know. Once I hit the five-hour mark, uh, stress or whatever is waking me up lately, which makes me sad. But so, so you, you actually, <laughs> rather than set an alarm because you didn't want the alarm to wake me, you got our daughter. No. Oh, you're how gonna, did this go? You're going to make it sound like I have drug her. In. She wanted to go see the. She wanted to get up at five a.m. Yes. to see the lunar eclipse. And I told her five ten would be ideal to put your set your alarm. Okay. And then I said, why don't you, since you're setting your alarm, why don't you just come up and get me? So that you don't have to set an alarm. So then I don't have to. Well, the, let's just be fair. You are the one that used to get up and go to work and have to be up early. So the alarm clock is on your side of the bed. And I don't like to keep my phone in the room. Right. Which so, is a healthy habit. Yeah. So I, I don't want to be any part of that. Also, I hate alarm clocks. Right. So, so anyway, I, I think we're kind of dwelling on where the alarm clock is. I don't want to make is. it sound like I'm like, okay, slave child, come and wake me up. So Catherine comes and gets you at five o'clock in the morning. And yes. of course it wakes me up, yes. you know, because we have, hard we have kids. Well, we have kids and you're always, now that I'm not passed out drunk anymore, I'm sensitive to any noises. I mean, your, your like echolocation ears are... Yeah. Too bad I didn't hear the fox that spent the night in our garage and peed all over my car. Uh, but that's a whole other semi-interesting story. But the lunar eclipse. So you got up. I woke up as a result. I immediately started thinking about things and didn't go back to sleep. And But, but here's the point. Here's the point. That didn't upset me. I actually laid in bed and thought about you... Wandering around outside in the dark in your pajamas and thought, God, I hope our neighbors are up to like looking out the window at Sherry. I like, was hoping some neighbors would be out too, like yeah, looking at it. Cause a moon party. A couple super moons ago, we had the whole half of the block was out. Was that in the evening or in the morning? It was in the evening. Okay, I think we did let it because it was during like fall break or something yeah. at one time. And so we'd let the kids stay up later and come out in the dark and look at the super moon, but. But I was I was happy for two things. One was that I didn't I would I wasn't happy enough about it to get out of bed and go <laughs> look or join you or anything. But but just the picture of you walking around in the dark pre-dawn in your pajamas trying to figure out which direction because you never did actually see the lunar well, eclipse either, did you? I wouldn't say it was dark. Okay. In Colorado at 5:15. But you said it was you it could, was you couldn't dusky. see the sun. 
But like I couldn't pre-dawn. see. I couldn't see. Yeah, couldn't see the sun horizon. I couldn't see that. And then all these trees are in bloom, and we're uh, so I'm walking across the street trying to see, think about where I could get higher. Anyone who was looking at you probably thought the cat was missing, and you were freaking out because you yeah. would freak out if the cat was missing. Yeah, but I was hoping that some more neighbors would be out. Well, but I just I loved that vision of you wandering around, but I equally loved the carefreeness of it for you, the fact that you've gotten to a point in our relationship where, you know, that can be on your priority list to get up early and go look at a lunar eclipse. Whereas for so many years during the height of my drinking and even in well into the early sobriety, there was just so much stress in the relationship. You wouldn't have dreamed of doing that because you wouldn't have known what my reaction would be. Jerry, you can't be out in your pajamas. Sherry, I, you know, I'm worried that the a is wolf is going to eat you at five in the morning or, or, oh, we got to unset the alarm. We can't unset the alarm. What if, so what if a bad guy comes at five in the, you know, all of that unpredictable reaction was most definitely a possibility. So I just don't feel like you would have done this no. back when I was drinking. Do you agree? I agree. I, I may have done it when you would have already been up and gone to the work at the bakery. Right. Like if that would have happened. I know that we missed many like special moons and stuff because it would be after the time that you would have wanted to lock down the house so then you could just pass out wherever. So we have missed some really cool lunar things. Super moons. Special moons and lunar things. Yeah, That's what we should call like, this episode. Yes. Special oh, you moons know, and lunar things. Like super moons and whatnot. Yeah. Lunar eclipse. So I'm I'm just so thankful for your your carefreeness and the fact that you don't we don't spend mornings anymore licking our wounds and regretting our actions and full of shame and anger. And it was worth losing sleep that morning because I had serious joy in my heart because you were off doing something for yourself. I guess you could call wandering around in your pajamas <laughs> self care. <laughs> self care. <laughs> You were doing something for yourself and any of our neighbors that were able to be up watching you wander around in your pajamas. No, I just learned how great. our neighbors sleep with a lot of lights on in their house. Oh, or, yeah? Like, I didn't see bodies moving around. I just saw lots of lights. So when I walked out of the house down the driveway, I was like, ooh, there are going to be people up. Maybe they can help direct me in the right location of where the where this will happen. But no, there were just lots of trees Lots of very full trees, and we're kind of on a little bit of a yeah, um, downslope, I guess, from what you might say. We don't we don't live on a, a hillside where it would have been possible to see it. Okay, I feel like the excuses are coming now. Yep, that you couldn't find the the lunar eclipse. I mean, it's kind of sad. It was supposed to be huge. Maybe, yeah, but. that's okay. I'm glad you got the experience, and I'm glad I got to lay in bed contently, peacefully predictably thinking of you know the the fact that this carefree attitude that you had would not have been possible before am i going to catch you in a lie right now cuz i said something to you like oh i'm sorry to wake you up did you go back to sleep i think you said yeah no i didn't you didn't go back to sleep i didn't go back to sleep and i don't think i said there. i went back to sleep either mm-hmm. yeah it's okay though it was great I'm I'm 
I'm glad for, boy, we've lost sleep over a lot worse reasons. So I'm glad for that one. And I'm glad to, to be, you know, I might not be, um, all that you had hoped for when we first found each other, but at least what I am is predictable now. You know what you're going to get. So that's an upgrade for sure versus the super high highs and super low lows. <coughs> so thanks for talking about predictability and peace and contentment and all of these things that I think most of us alcoholics just blow off as you know minor things and don't realize how important they are for the loved ones in our lives. That's a good way to describe it. Yes. You just blow it off. Yep. As long as you're drinking and you're happy, or not happy, but you're drinking, you're not thinking about others. Yeah. Well, it's it's very peaceful and con- full of contentedness it to is, think of others. Yeah. Well. Especially you. Very much, much, much better in our household. Yeah. Yeah. So we hope that um, we hope that the prioritizing of contentedness becomes important to some other people who are listening. Thanks for talking about this with me today, Sherry. Thanks for asking me. Love you. Love you. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to SoberEvolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.